Hey, Alien Minute listeners, how would you like an extra bit of content from John and Mitch? Say an episode where we talk about things other than Alien, like the movies that we're watching, genres, time periods, all sorts of interesting, different takes on movies. If you want to do that, you can come over and support us at patreon.com forward slash Alien Minute. Pledge us some support to help us out and to get that extra content. We promise you it'll be worth your time. Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 50, which begins with a close look at the facehugger's guts and ends with Ripley closing the door on Dallas in the corridor. And it is Friday, which makes it our last day with Matt Curione. Uh, Oh, yeah, It's a a little sad, but Matt, thanks for coming back. Thanks for riding out the whole week with us. Hey, I've had a blast. I mean, this has been so much fun getting to talk about my favorite movie. So, all right, so to get into this minute, we're right in the middle of seeing this thing's guts just come right into a close-up. So what do we want to talk about as far as the facehugger and its ma- Makeup. Let's talk about those guts. Yeah. yeah. And how uh, basically what Ridley Scott had the departments do, they filled the H.R. Giger mold that he had made with uh, oysters and clams and various other like pig, pig intestines are in there, I believe. And he just said, yeah, mush them all up, throw them in that mold. And that's what the facehugger is going to look like. I mean, when Ash picks up that one little flap, that's actually him just picking up like part of a clam. And if you know that, yeah, it's really interesting. But if you don't know that, you're going to be looking at this film going, what the hell is that thing? Uh, we talked about it in the last minute, but this you notice really up close that this thing has fingernails, which is horrifying. Uh, it's that's that's the probably the creepiest aspect of this creature that it has fingernails and they're they're like Howard Hughes fingernails. They're not <laughs> they're not your normal fingernails. I mean, this is uh. this is Mr. Burns at the top of the casino with shoot with, you know, the spruce moose. <laughs> yeah, hop in fingernails. They're really creepy. Uh, this all leads back to Giger, who has a fantastic design throughout this entire picture. And one of his most impressive, other than the the xenomorph itself, is the facehugger. And the fact that you can tell that so much care was put into this thing. Uh, Ridley Scott is the one who got Giger. I mean, I mean I'm sure everyone has seen the behind-the-scenes documentary, uh, The Beast Within, where Scott talks about looking through art books, and he comes across one called The Necronomicon, and it's by Giger, and he goes, that's what I want. That's that's the monster for my monster movie. So then they just got the ball rolling with, you know, this weird guy from uh, he's from Switzerland, I believe, and just let, let him go 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 to town, creating whatever weird concepts you want to do in your dark little basement. Dan O'Bannon <laughs> had met him before, right? They both worked on Jodorowsky's Dune. And they had that, uh, yeah. for a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I actually think O'Bannon gave Scott the book. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, and man, I'm sitting here looking at it, just the close-up, just a still of it. Yeah, it's it's something else, and it's very authentic looking. It's Yeah, it's super creepy. It's not one of those things that you had to shoot, cut away from real quick, or the artifice will be revealed. It looks as real as can be. And no, those, you, can, you can focus in on this thing, and oh. yeah, it's creepy. And those fingernails are, that's that's fucked up. 
I'm Ugh. sorry. It's gross. Haunting. <laughs> Haunting. That's like that, that added little bit. You can have guts and snake tails and little tentacles and whatever else, but you add some fingernails to it. That's just, some would say probably a bridge too far. But I yeah, think this it's is one. This, this is in like the, the top of like small scale uh, horror props that you would see in the, the like in like a five year span of of films. Uh, you would have this, which came second. First, you had uh, that Eraserhead baby, which is horrifying, and and then later on, you would have that that severed head with the legs from uh, Carpenter's The Thing. These are three of the most terrifying looking uh, horror props uh, in the history of cinema. They they are just. Ah, they they hit you on a deep level, and like you said, you can focus in on these things, and the artifice won't go away. You'll just still be creeped out because what the hell are these things? It really does invite us to look, you know, and that's that is part of the strategy of this this movie most of the time. With the final version of the creature, it plays it a little safer, but boy, at this mm -hmm. stage, they really want us to take a look at this thing and and really. The, this, the close-up is so close that it's kind of shoving the thing in our face. It's not hard yeah. to imagine what it would be like to have that thing on my own face, and I really mm. don't particularly want that. <laughs> I don't want to think of that. That's, yeah. <laughs> I don't like thinking about that at all. Because I would like to sleep tonight. That would yeah. be nice. <laughs> so this thanks, thanks for the nightmares. <laughs> so this proboscis it has, I mean, if we're going to talk about the anatomy of it a little bit, this thing that it shoved down his his throat it's just coiled up in there somewhere is that the yeah. idea that we're supposed to get yeah it's in <laughs> it's still in him right it's still in Kane. did it come off in, I in him because so. we don't really see it we never see the face hugger you know exposed until now so yeah. it could have fallen off I, in him I guess. or that's even worse yeah so he's just walking around with this thing yeah in his throat that's what i always thought it's 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 oh. connected up with him he doesn't know it he needs a drink of water eventually but uh, yeah. yeah that's, that's... <laughs> i have something in my throat yeah well, that te <laughs> right. teases a little something for later but i'll just tease it now so ash is the doctor on the ship we'll just call him that for now and he's monitoring kane and now let's just say this thing has fallen off into Kane. he knows that right Oh, yeah. he must. So yeah. that raises a question for later. I mean, it's it's quite a ways down the line, but what does Ash know or doesn't he know about Kane's medical condition that he's not revealing? If he knows that that proboscis is down in Kane, what, doesn't he need to get it out of there? Is it going to be, oh, I hate to talk about it. <laughs> is it digestible? Is it something that you end up, I don't know. Mitch, you kind of grossed me out. I've never thought about that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's I've always oh. thought it just re. <laughs> I've always thought it just recoiled back in. Yeah, so did I. All the way. But now, but now I'm thinking about this like Great. long tube just <laughs> stuck. Thanks, Mitch. You just grossed everybody out. <laughs> well, oh, I, I, I do want to add to maybe take the edge off of this or not that the second time we go back to look at the at the guts and everything, we get another one of those slight unresolved zooms. Like we got right before the thing jumped out of the egg onto Kane's face. And yeah, I just, I love the way that Ridley Scott uses zooms in this movie because they are creeping and impassive 
and just about the time you see the zoom, then they cut out of it. So it's a really interesting strategy. I don't know what it means, but it's it, it adds to the creepiness. It's like he's presenting it. I, I've watched some of his commercials in research for this, and a few of them, and some of them, most of them actually that remind me of this come after this movie. So I don't know if it's a chicken and egg thing, but um, he likes to use these kind of shots in like perfume commercials and presenting beautiful women. Yeah. And is he just twisting that on us? Is he showing, is he using a, a nice smooth zoom shot to present this thing as a beautiful thing, but then twist that as it's, because it's so ugly and disgusting. I don't know. I think he does think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, maybe please, he he's he's proud of it. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's what? like, look at this awesome thing I'm putting in my movie for you people. Check it out. Yeah, it is beautiful in its own weird way. I mean, it's sublime. Yeah. And he it and is. he uses yeah. those zooms in a lot of his films. So is he thinking of it as a beautiful prop that his crew was able to craft, and not thinking of it as the audience member? To me, I mean, I get it. What you're saying. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's interesting. It's a very cool prop, but it's really gross. When you're watching That's, the movie, it's vile. I'm not thinking about it being beautiful when I'm watching in the story, watching the movie. But maybe in that's the just moment. Me. Yeah, it's I have complicated feelings about it then because I look <laughs> at it the way that I look at a super close shot of a bug. You know that Microcosmos movie? Yeah, that was all the super macro focused stuff of bugs, and I just. I can stare at it forever. And yeah, it's terrifying and gross on guess on one hand, but it's also beautiful. And this mm. thing seems to be a, a real organism. And so I don't know. So you, I'm fascinated by it. So Mitch, what you're saying is, you know, if this thing fell off the, out of the ceiling onto the floor, you would just dive right in and probably start prodding it and making it move and then coldly scientifically investigate it without any fear. If I was Ash, I would because I'd already know the deal because I've already yeah. been programmed and hipped to probably yeah. what it is. He knows it's well, dead. He says it's safe to say it's not a zombie. So yeah, let's look that, at it. That line always makes me laugh. I'm just, Matt, you're unaware of this, but there's a growing bit of, there's growing evidence that, that Mitch might be an android. I'm just, last week something, I, I, We'll see. We'll see how much more evidence comes up. But uh -oh. he tends to take the Ash viewpoint on things a little bit more. It's starting to get a little suspicious. But. Well, he's got all those protocols, you know, got to got to follow. Them. He's Mitch very is, important. Mitch is both coldly scientific and very glitchy at the yes. same time. <laughs> I'm just following my programming. God damn it. <laughs> well, speaking of beautiful shots. There's a three shot here that's pretty damn sweet with first Ash and then on either side of him, Dallas comes in and Ripley comes in. And it's similar to the three shot of the away team when when they were down on the planet. There's a really mm -hmm. similar shot of the three helmets and they're all looking. And I, I think it's great. Like it's a beautifully composed shot. You can see everybody's faces. You can see them communicating with each other while gazing both at that thing and at each other. It's economical, and it's gorgeous. And it's funny that they use, he's using this three-shot again. Um, I mean, I guess they've seen the facehugger before this, but seeing it this way and investigating it this way reminds me of that. Because that, you remember that three-shot from earlier when they see the derelict ship, we've had this kind of choppy, crazy, handheld, and then like found footage sort of approach to them walking on the planet. And then they stop and give us this nice, static, beautiful, gawking three-shot when they see yeah. the ship. 
And so it's like when they see something new, when it's time to investigate something, they all come in together and he uses that same shot again. It kind of mirrors that shot. I have a question. Yeah. So there's this line that I think is so full of subtext when he says, you know, they say, well, get rid of it. And he's and he pushes back and he says, nothing like this has ever been discovered. What he doesn't say is this is the first sign of life that we found in the galaxy. Yeah. Right. So the assumption is there have been other discoveries of other creatures already found in, in other this. parts of the galaxy. Yeah. 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 I just I don't and know. It, I like that. It says so much about the world without saying anything. It says that, and it also brings in the now standard company line of, "Oh no, we have to bring it back. All tests have to be done," and and you can tell that Ripley right off the bat is against that. Oh, which she's in, informs she's, her character for the rest of the entire series, not just the film. Yeah, she's aghast at this idea. Of, she's like, "Really? You're bringing it back? How about we don't?" Yeah, she has no scientific curiosity here whatsoever. She doesn't. She's and she's the one we talk about the different people who are in survival mode. Up to now, it's been Lambert almost hundred well, percent. Well, she's, always she's, she's always, the one. She sleeps in survival mode. Yeah. Where now we're starting to see Ripley, and because I think Ripley behaves coolly and rationally, this is a, she's making the right decision here. Who gives yeah, a, who gives yeah. a shit about the site? You guys are ten. Well, we don't know how far from home they are right now, but they're a long ways from home. And the idea is to get everyone home safe, and that's number one priority in her mind. And it probably should be everybody's priority. The idea of playing with fire here just for the sake of scientific experimentation is pretty. I'm with her. Like I, I yeah, say, um, get rid of that damn thing. Definitely blow it out the airlock. Get get rid of that thing. I don't yeah. want to be sleeping in my little cryo tube when this thing decides to wake up later. And even if he assures me that, oh no, it's it's dead. Don't worry. I don't know. You don't know that. This thing well, bled acid. She says, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. There's no telling what it's right. Sorry, it's dead. Yeah, stepping on your line there. That's nah, uh, fine. Yeah, not my line. It's Ripley's line. Who's to say that its decomposition phase isn't? turning entirely into acid and yeah. burning right through the whole damn ship. I mean, he, she's right. And there's, there's no guarantee that they have anything on board. I mean, I think we know uh, since the asbestos line was cut from the script, uh, we don't know if there's any asbestos they could encase this thing in to make sure that doesn't happen. So oh, true. Yeah. So what, what's going to keep this thing from destroying the ship if that's the case? So she's right. You should not be taking any chances with the ship and with the lives on the ship. So, well, in the, uh, O'Bannon's script, it actually does start to decompose, and they yeah. run through the ship and get to the airlock and blast it out onto the planet, and it hits the ground and it burns a hole into the ground. Wow! Oh so, wow! So it, she's thinking like Dan O'Bannon, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. if that isn't in fact the case, yeah, that she's right here. And here's Ash again. He's kind of compounding his. You know, choices he's made this choice to let the thing in in the first place, and now he's making the choice to keep it there. And again, it seems to be he's using Dallas, he's deferring to Dallas, but Dallas is deferring back to him. So it's like Ripley just has no say in anything here, and nobody's yeah. gonna listen to anything she ever says. Never listen to the rational person. It's very interesting because she protests by saying Dallas after. Clearly, you know, Dallas has decided, Ash, it's your call. Do whatever you want to do. End of story. And she says, Dallas. And then we have this hard cut to him walking into the corridor and her following behind him, right? Yep. What's really yep. interesting is in the script, 
uh, even in the Walter Hill version, they finish the scene out. They kind of button it up. Then it goes to the beginning of another scene where over coffee, they start to have the argument. And I think it's just really interesting how clearly the instinct of the director, whether it was on the day or in the in the planning stages, knew that you don't want to end that scene. You don't want to button it up. Let her say Dallas in protest and then cut right into the next scene and let it just propel it right on into the Where very the rapid walk and talk. And, you know, in the we'll talk about this more next week, too. But in the in the illustrated story, for instance, this conversation we're about to begin is just a walk and talk. It's almost like a casual. It doesn't play out as much as an argument. Or there's not as much behind it. It's almost yeah. like an expositional scene where they're just trying to plant another seed about Ash's intentions. And this is Ridley Scott and then the performers and maybe the writers on set doing rewrites and how they block the scene, taking so much more off the page than was there. I love how this scene plays out. It's always been one of my favorite scenes in the movie. This is a fantastic. And like you said, Mitch, I think that cut really helps it a lot. There's nothing to talk to Ash about anymore anyway. There's no reason to have him involved in the buttoning up of that scene because she's not even addressing Ash. And yeah, she Ash knows is, she's, she's not going to get anywhere with him. Yeah, Ash is hanging out with his bug right now. Yep. And if you see Ripley's expression when Dallas then gives Ash the decision, she really expected Dallas to be on her side in this. Yes, she did. I don't think she expected this decision at all. And that's why I think that it plays into that next when you cut to the next scene. Her sense of urgency about it, she's pretty – I think she's offended at Dallas. It's almost like a small betrayal to her. Dallas isn't on her team versus Ash. Yeah. She seems to be playing the middle somewhere, and I think that she expected a lot more out of Dallas. And it also just leads to what I said. I believe I said it in an earlier minute. Uh, it's just lead just them the way they talk to each other. It's this lived-in world, and you can tell that these people that are on this ship have known each other for months or maybe even years. She reaches up and, at the end of this minute, hits a button that closes a door in his pathway. Yeah. Blocking him off. That's a pretty arguably insubordinate move that uh, somebody's going to make. So there must be she must figure she can get away with it. Yeah, there's got to be something there. Well, I got to tell you, we were just talking about nobody. Nobody listens to Ripley. Like yeah. up to this point in the movie, nobody's given her like Parker's blowing steam in her face. Yeah. Nobody gives her an ounce. And it's bullshit. And she's fed up with it. I can see at this point, and And I'm glad another reason why it's it's good that they that they set up the scene this way is because we got to get a little payoff for that like if we're on ripley's side we're starting to really get on ripley's side here and now dallas won't listen to her yeah close that door and force him this is the only way anybody's going to listen to her apparently like yeah i'm closing this door we're talking you're not walking out on this right now yeah i think a walk and talk we're losing that like he's he's voluntarily having this conversation with her. we're losing yeah. a lot by playing the scene that way. So I really think that they've added a lot in by having her force his hand. Now he's got a she's got him blocked off and he's got to address her issues. Yeah. And this is the first time we really see Ripley. And I think he's listen. I don't think that he's entirely dismissive. I think he's defensive. But again, that's more for the next minute. But um I, I think he cares about her. I think he's in a predicament, and I also think, again, that he's unraveling, and he doesn't know quite what to do. Now, it is a bit of a surprise, I guess, in this theory that, you know, I, I sort of was playing with earlier, that she is his 
right hand his advisor his consigliere that he doesn't uh, take her advice at all here is this a do you think that i was right in that that's where they were building to and this is a reversal that we're getting now or do you think i was just maybe playing too much into that idea and we're seeing that it wasn't necessarily true i think this might be a reversal whereas you finally get that big hint that you know what ripley just might be the main character in this film well, it's certainly easy to root for her in this scene. Yeah. Because, like I said, I feel strongly that she's being slighted. and no, She's an underdog. I think totally that's the whole she's... point. They're yep. making her an underdog through the whole story. And it's starting to come to a head. Okay. Well, that's all I've got for this minute. Matt, any closing words of wisdom as we proceed down this dark and dangerous road? Best of luck, guys. This movie's spooky scaries. <laughs> and it's only going to get scarier. That is true. All right. Well, remind us one last time where we can find you on the Internet. Well, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at the real Matt C. Uh, you can listen to the podcast that I co-host. I co-host Hey, What You Watching? We're on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm also the co-host of Talk Film Society. Uh, same thing, uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. You can also find me o- always over on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash pixels and reels. Uh, just send a member, a member request and you can get going. A lot of good movie discussion happening over there on the daily. I'm headed that way. Sounds great. Fantastic. All right. Well, you can find us on AlienMinute.com or you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can subscribe to us there and leave us a review if you'd like. Also, come over to our Facebook page and tell us uh, what you think about all this stuff we've been talking about. And uh, I wanted to give an end-of-the-week shout-out to some of our other Minute podcasts out there. Of course, there's the Star Wars Minute. There's the Indiana Jones Minute. There's the now-finished-but-very-good Goodfellas Minute, uh, Back to the Future Minute, Jaws Minute, the Two-Minute Terminator, and the Wrath of Khan Minute. So listen to those, folks. They're all really great. And uh, we'll see you again next week for minute number 51. Thanks again, Matt. No problem. This was a blast.